And I was up in um, North Carolina and I saw Billy's memorial. They showed this clip and it was really, I thought, a, a, very, a very poignant moment in Billy's last part of his life. When somebody's dying, that's some of the most important things they're going to ever say because they know this is the end of their life. And I want you to listen to Billy for a second. He was a flawed man, but he was a singularly focused man and he loved the Lord. And listen to what he says at the end of his life. I've been praying that we might have a spiritual awakening. But I think that becomes possible only as individuals surrender their lives afresh and anew to Christ and live the Christian life wherever you are. First, we do everything we can to follow in the steps of Jesus. We're to live a life in which we love one another, we help one another, we live according to what Jesus lived. The Holy Spirit is the one that helps us live that new lifestyle, which is one of love, gentleness, and patience, and all of these things that are the fruit of the Spirit. We must remember that we communicate the gospel by our lives as well as our lips. We live before a watching world, a world that is waiting to see if what we say is lived out in our lives. We must be living in the power of the Spirit. We must be men and women who are pure vessels for God's message. Secondly, you read His Word every day, the Bible. I know it's very difficult, but you need to start somewhere. And I suggest you start with the Gospel of Luke and the New Testament. And in the Old Testament, start with the very first verse. In the beginning, God. And study those passages. Make the Bible your source and your authority. Quote it frequently. Let its message be your message. Study it. Meditate upon it. Memorize it. Trust its promises. The Word of God itself has power. And the third thing, go to your knees and pray until you and God have become intimate friends. I cannot describe to you the joy and the peace that he gives to you as a result of that daily routine that you have in prayer. Is there a lack of power in your life? Perhaps you have neglected the preparation of your life. We've neglected prayer. We've neglected God's word in the beating of our own souls. Whatever it is, confess it, forsake it, repent of it, and then walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and gain victory over it. And may God today lift our vision and may the power of the gospel break upon our world with fresh force as we are obedient to Christ's call to repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Hallelujah.
who influenced the nations because he was singularly focused on the gospel. I was in my hotel room weeping at my own lack of urgency. And I think as a country, we had a moment last week. It was kind of like uh, Ann Graham Lotz, who's Billy Graham's daughter, said it best. It was a shot over the bow to America. To say this is a time we've been so racially, so economically, so politically divided. And there's been so much hatred. And yet, in a moment of time last week, we had Billy Graham's life celebrated. So much so there's a petition floating around to name a holiday after him. And on every news channel they were saying, this was a man devoted to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some of those people saying that didn't even know what the gospel was. They, in their minds, it's just the facts about Jesus dying on a cross and being loving to people. But it's much more than that. It's the good news that God came to make it possible for us to be in relationship with Him. And I think sometimes we squander these opportunities. And I looked at my own life and how easy it was to get distracted and forget what a monumental thing God has done for us. And I've told you guys about Peter Hooty. For the guys who are here just visiting, Peter Hooty is a guy that I met in 2000 from an, the Arctic Circle. And when I met Peter, he was the only believer in his whole people group, the only believer in his whole ethnic group up in this Arctic tundra called Yamal, which means the ends of the earth. And he came to me and he said, Doug, would you help me reach my people? He was the only believer. Now think about that. Think if you were the only believer in Jacksonville, the only person in Jacksonville that knew the gospel, that had embraced the gospel, and all the other people just in this city, but this was this whole people group and ethnic group. Well, in 2012, CBN did a story on Peter. I didn't know about it. Somebody sent it to me a couple of years ago. But I want you to look at Peter's life and listen to his story. Locals call this place Yamal. Yamal means the end of the world. And in many ways, it is. There are no roads here. People use frozen lakes and rivers to get around on reindeer or snowmobiles. Latitude 70 degrees north. Longitude 70 degrees east. The Yamal Peninsula sits in the deep, frozen Siberian tundra above the Arctic Circle. The temperature here fluctuates between minus 30 and minus 60 degrees Fahrenheit. It's a little after 6 a.m. Peter Hudi, our Siberian guide, does last-minute checks. This is a special place. Peter belongs to the largest nomadic tribe called the Minyets. He's more than just a guide. You see, he's a Christian. And for the last few years, he's been sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with his tribe and others who live here in the tundra. When I became a Christian, God gave me a new heart. He also gave me a new heart for my people. I go out on my snowmobile meeting these nomadic families and telling them about the love of Christ. Peter is among a handful of evangelists reaching the Ninets people. He's supported by a local Siberian church and Russian ministries, an organization focusing on spreading the gospel in the former Soviet Union. 
There are no verifiable numbers, but Peter estimates some 500 Nyanets people have accepted the Lord in recent years. There are still thousands more who have yet to hear about Jesus. So for now, he continues to traverse the harsh landscape of the Siberian tundra in search of more people to share the good news of faith in Jesus. Georgetown CBN News in the Yamal Peninsula, Northern Siberia. Now there's 500 believers up there, over 20 churches spread out across the tundra. So I want you to think about Peter, and I think about you. And if you did nothing to change your witnessing habits in the next 12 years, how many believers would be in Jacksonville if you were the only one? How many? Peter had a burden to share what God had done in his own life because he had realized that he was forgiven. He and I spent many nights talking about the sins of his past and the things in his life and how God should never have forgiven him. He was very grateful. And it was that gratefulness to God that drove him to do what he did. Why don't we share our faith? Because the fear of rejection, the fear of failure, all these fears are just things that the enemy throws at us to be a barrier to us being hope to those that are lost. Let me ask you a question. How many of you guys here in this small little group came to Christ through the first time you ever went to a church, you heard the gospel, and then you raised your hand and said, I want to believe that, I want to follow that, that that's for me. Nobody. And yet, our tendency is we want to invite people to a church. How many of you went into a, a small group or a Sunday school class for the very first time, they were talking about Jesus, and you just there, right there on the spot, you trusted Christ in that Sunday school or small group time? What about having somebody visit you from the church? You, you went and you visited on a Sunday. They came out to your house on a Tuesday night, and it's the first time you heard the gospel when they shared it, and you said, I want to believe that. I want to follow that. Anybody from somebody visiting the first time? So much for church visitation, right? How about the pastor personally led you? You were at a church, and you, and you, you at the end of the message, you went up and you talked to the pastor, and he led you to Christ right there on the spot. Anybody? How about an outreach event? You were actually invited to an outreach event and you heard some evangelist preach the gospel and you trusted Christ at an outreach event. Anybody? Well, so far we're over on this thing, man. Are you even saved? Are any of you guys believers here? Okay. What about a friend or a family member sharing with you and through time and relationship you heard the gospel and you saw the gospel lived out in their life and it was that that drew you to Christ. And as a result of that, you started following Christ. Raise your hand. Almost everybody. So what does that tell you? The gospel is a relational thing. And God has each one of us in these individual lives that we're living of experiences and relationships that He wants to use to share the good news with people. Sometimes we meet people in a grocery store. Sometimes we meet them on Craigslist through selling something. But there are opportunities all around us. It's just a matter of having our eyes open to them and to how God can use us. All of our efforts go into other things. 
instead of training and equipping the believers and calling the believers to be witnesses. What is a witness? Joe, you're a great witness of uh, Ruth Chris. They have a special, they have this thing they do. I remember you telling me about it, saying it's a great deal. You go in there, what, like 5 o'clock or something? And four thirty, and it's a great. You get it's a it's a, a lot cheaper to go in there that time, but the food's still good. We're witnesses of restaurants. We're witnesses of things that happen in our life that we enjoy, and yet we're afraid to witness for Jesus. The most incredible event in our lives, and we we somehow shrink back from being a witness to that. And we should be a witness for that more than anything because that's why He leaves us here on earth. You know, that's the only thing you won't be able to do in heaven, really, is lead somebody to Christ. So Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, wrote this book, this letter, Colossians. And he's writing it from prison. And it's very instructive in this area of being a witness. And I want you to think of these three areas. I've covered it before with you, but we're going to kind of go over it again. And I want to kind of unpack it just a little bit. God calls you and I to be people of prayer in the sense of praying for the lost. He calls us to be people who care. We care for the lost. And He calls us to be people who share. And really, that philosophy of prayer, caring, and sharing should be in that order. Because prayer should be the foundation evangelistically for anything we do. When I started praying and asking God, God, I want to have opportunities to share. Guess what? There were opportunities to share. It, but, but you can't be like the kid who goes, well, I prayed for God to give me an A, but I didn't study. <laughs> and I think we do that sometimes. God, I want so-and-so to come to Christ, but we never talk to him about Jesus. Oh God, I wish you would draw them into the kingdom and we see them every day, but we never talk to them about what God's done in our own life. And, and so... Prayer is the foundation, but there's, there's an element of us involved in cooperation by God's design. In the same way that when God called Lazarus out, He could have just said, Lazarus, come out and move the stone with a word, but He didn't. He let the disciples go up and remove the stone. He told them to remove it. And sometimes He uses us to remove the stones that are around people. He gives us that privilege to serving alongside of Him. Colossians 4, 2 through 6. I want to read it to you. And then I want to talk about individually some of these issues the prayer, the care, and the share. He says in verse 2 Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul says, continue steadfastly. Your, your translation may say, be devoted to prayer. Devoted. That's quite a word. It's got a lot to it. Devoted. What are you devoted to? I, I, I just wonder if, if we have almost 30 guys here this morning. What if every guy here for the next 30 days prayed? Prayed and asked the God of all creation 
specifically for people in our sphere of influence that we know don't know Him or not following Him. And we just prayed for the next 30 days and begged God to move in their hearts to pull the veil down so they could see who Jesus is. To use us in that person's life. Do you, do you think things might be a little different in the way this person interacts with God or what they see about God? I think they would. That's the prayer God longs to answer. And, and there's something to be said about our prayer life and how we see other people because typically what I find in my own life is when my prayer life is dry, my relationship with God is dry. And if my relationship with God is dry, then my ability to be a witness to other people is almost non-existent. Except occasionally God will even use a donkey so He will use me to do something even in the midst of my dryness. But I want you to, and I've shared this before, these multi-bold landscape fountains. And the top bowl is us. We're the top bowl. The next bowl is our family and friends. The next bowl is the people in our neighborhood and those we meet on a regular basis. And then the next bowl is people we don't even know. If we don't drink deeply from Jesus and His Word every day, then we're going to be dry. And there will be no water flowing over to our family, to those around us. He says in John 7, Come to Me, all who are thirsty, and drink. And out of you will flow what? He says, living water. And He tells us that that water is the Holy Spirit. So when we come to Him, He's going to give us drink. He's not going to say, Nope. You've had too much. If we're dry, we come to him and say, Lord, there was, a, there was a guy, he wrote me a long letter yesterday. He's an older guy, very successful guy, gone through some business struggles, <clears throat> some hard business struggles, was very successful, had some things happen, couldn't understand it. Things in his family happened, couldn't understand it. And, and he came up to me and said, I want to talk to you. I need to talk to you. I said, right, Okay. And I, I, I thought he was going to confess something. It wasn't to confess anything except to confess his dryness and to say, God's already convicted me. I just want you to be a witness to what God has done and I want to pray with you. And as he began to pray, he wept because he was dry. He said, but I prayed and I asked God to help me not be dry. And he said, thank you because God used you to open my eyes and to fill my soul. He used you to give me a drink. And guys, there's people all around us that need a drink. And we can be the person that takes them. Just like Bob said, hey, you got some water? And I said, I'll go get it. And I went and got him a cup of water. And we can be the ones that take water to the thirsty. Because Jesus is the only thing that will satisfy their thirst. We, we need to give them living water. And it starts with prayer. Prayer. Listen, when you, when you begin praying personally and you begin spending time with God and asking Him these things and you spend time with Him, you begin to have a passion for God and passion for people and it flows out of time with Him. Think back to Moses in Exodus 32. Moses comes down from the mountain. He'd seen the children of Israel. They were engrossed in immorality. And he says to God these words. He says, Lord, if you will not forgive them, then blot my name out of the book of life. Now, how, how could you pray that? 
Paul did the same thing in Romans 9. He said, oh, that I wish that these, my brothers, could be brought in. If I could be accursed, in other words, if I could go to hell so that these, my brothers, could come in, I would do it. That's a, that's a heck of a passion for people. Are you willing to say, God, I wish I could go to hell so this person could come into the kingdom? That, that, that's incredible. That only flows out of a, a connection to God where you have the heart of God and you see with the eyes of God. He calls us to be people of prayer. Well, He gives us some instruction about the prayer. He says we're to be watchful. That's a, like a military sentry. That term means a military sentry. A sentry. And we're like, um, a lot of times in my prayers, just to be honest, I'm kind of groggy. Or I'm distracted. You ever get that way? And you pray kind of, you, you don't look at it. Can you imagine? And, and Joe, I'm going to pick on you just because I love you. You love your daughter. And you spend time with her. Could you imagine if you sit down to dinner with Kendall and just keep dozing off in the conversation? What's she going to think? You don't really love me. See, we look at prayer as an obligation instead of a chance to really, in faith, converse with the Almighty God. And, and, and one thing that changed me a long time ago in the way I think about praying to God is a guy told me, you know what you ought to do? Because I was, I was struggling with this concept. And he said, get a chair and put it over there. And just picture Jesus sitting in the chair with you. And talk to him. Talk to him. You know, talk to him like you would, you know, your father. Just talk to him like you would if you were having a real conversation. I think so often because we've grown up hearing these formalized prayers that we try to be all formal instead of just being authentic with God. Prayer has to be from our heart, not some religious activity. We looked at that back in Matthew 6. He doesn't want us just to pray to pray. He wants us to pray to connect. And that's, it's the foundation. Prayer is not us moving God to do something. It's us bringing ourselves along with God's plan. And we don't know the plan if we don't spend time with it. And as we begin to spend time praying with Him and, and praying for people, He softens our heart for those people that are around us. It's no coincidence the people you work with, the people in your neighborhood, the people in your family. God's got this unfolding plan and He's got you part of it. Well, He goes on to say, and I find it interesting that He says, He doesn't pray, Lord, let me out of jail. He says, don't open a door like He's opened up before in the past for Paul, right? Remember, Paul's in prison and an earthquake comes, it shakes, and he can walk out and the jailer's going to take his life. But Paul goes, no, no, no. We're all here. Now, who does that? Who stays in a jail? It's like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who stays in a fire when they're loose? You run out of a fire. You run out of a jail. They don't. They stay there and Paul goes to the house and wins the jailer to Christ. And here in this passage, he's not praying for an opportunity to leave prison. He's praying for an opportunity to share the Gospel with the very people that are holding him captive. And that God would let him know how to make it clear. Now listen, if Paul's asking God for help in how to share the Gospel after all he's already been through, do you think we might need to ask God to help us share? And ask people to pray for us? 
And that's one of the things I hope we'll do in our accountability groups, our Paul Timothy, our Paul Barnabas time, is to pray for each other. Pray that we can share with our neighbors and our friends. But he goes on to say that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. And then he says, with wisdom towards outsiders. That word's only used a couple of times in the New Testament. It's somebody outside the faith. And so he, it's not only people of prayer, it's people who care. And, and, and caring, he's, that's how you're wise with an outsider. And, and one way that I use prayer on a, on a fairly regular basis is I ask people when I go into a restaurant, because I know that I pray for my meal, and people are going to see me pray. And so when my server comes up, I ask them, hey, is there anything I can pray for you? I pray. I tell them, you know, I pray over my meal because I like to thank God for our, my food and provision. Is there anything in your life that I can pray for today? And, you know, I've been doing that really since 19, about 98. And over that period of time, I've had three or four servers leave the table in tears and come back after they compose themselves to, to say, I didn't think anybody cared. I didn't think anybody cared. Some of them going through some gut-wrenching life issues. <clears throat> and you know what the next thing that comes out of their mouth is? What church do you go to? Now, why do you think they ask me what church that I go to? Because they want to know, who is it that cares? When you start showing care in a culture that it's only consumed with itself, people are going to notice. Why, why are you doing this? Why would you help me? Why are you so nice? Why are you so happy? You always seem so joyful. You always seem, you just seem happy all the time. They want to know. And then we can give them an answer for the hope that's inside of us. People who care. Too often, though, we get so busy in our lives and we forget. Listen, is there anybody in this room more important than Jesus? I don't think. Nobody's going to admit to that if they think that, right? <laughs> but, but nobody's more important than Jesus. Is there any event on your daytimer that's more important than the crucifixion? So Jesus, the most important man, on His way to do the most important thing, and His disciples know it. They're excited. They, they think they are about to overthrow Rome. And he's walking down the road and this blind beggar cries out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the word cry out there is like an animal-like scream in Mark chapter 10. He says it again, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And the disciples are like, shh, be quiet. He can't, he doesn't have time for you. He's got, we're going to Jerusalem. We got to get there. And then, Verse, I think it's 49 in Mark 10. Three of the most important words related to evangelism in that whole passage is, and Jesus stopped. He stopped. He stopped what he was doing. He stopped. And as soon as he stopped, he, he looked at Bartimaeus and he says, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? And there's people crying out all around us. The question is, are we going to stop and look at them and say, what do you want me to do for you? How can I help you? What can I do? You see, when we start caring, it opens up a window to be able to speak into somebody's life. Because when, when you care for somebody, they want to know why. Why are you doing this? 
and you tell them. You know, are you going to get burned sometimes? Is it going to be hard? Yeah, unbelievers have baggage. Heck, believers have baggage. We got baggage, right? Unbelievers have a lot of baggage, and, it, and, and sometimes you just go, oh man, I don't know if I got it in me today. And that's when you cry out to the Lord, Lord, help me. Help me to be able to minister to this brother today. Help me, Lord, to be wise in how I help them stop. Matthew 5.13 says, you are the salt. You are the salt. On that sheet you got, there's an uh, acronym, SALT. You see that? I want to give you just the fill-in for that, and you can pray and ask God to let you be salt in the world. First one is S, seek opportunities to share. I asked God for opportunities. He brought in opportunities. Second is A, ask questions to better understand their world. Don't make assumptions. Ask questions to better understand their world. One of the problems is for us in America, and and I've quoted this, Dick Halverson, who was the chaplain to the Senate a long time ago, said this, what started in Jerusalem as a relationship went to Greece and became an idea, went to Rome and became an institution, came to America and became an enterprise. An enterprise. Cookie-cutter Christians. People leaving tracts everywhere that take no account of the people that read them. Tracts are okay. I, I, I don't have a problem with tracts. But the tract doesn't take into account who's reading it. And, and sometimes we take that approach with people and they feel like they're walking in to get sold a bill of goods on something. They feel like you're pushing something, like you're selling something, instead of like you, you are in a relationship with the Almighty God that you are freely <laughs> expressing as a witness of what he's done in your own life. And Billy said it. Listen, when I was in the FBI, and when I, this is not just an in-ministry. People think, well, it's easy for you because you're in ministry. I was doing this in the FBI, and I was doing this in the Marine Corps. Two very difficult career fields to be sharing the gospel with people. I was told not to do it in both places at different times. So don't tell me it's just, well, you do it because you're in ministry full-time. We're all in ministry full-time. And if you don't have that mentality, then you don't understand who God is and what He's called you to be. We seek, we ask, and then L is, if you're asking, you better listen. you got two ears, one mouth. So listen intently so you know how to respond. Listen intently so you know how to respond. And then the T, you know what the T is? It's what you just said. It's talking openly. Yes. about your own relationship with God. In the same way you would talk about a good restaurant you like, you would talk about having a grandchild, you would talk about something going on in your life, you just talk openly about God. That's how we are salt and light to the world. Now, prayer, care, and then he says in verse 6, he says, let your speech always be gracious. you got to hate that word always. <laughs> Let it always be gracious. Seasoned with salt. What we just talked about. Seasoned with salt. If you get too much salt, it makes you want to throw up. So we don't want too much salt. Just enough to season, he says, so that you may know how you ought to answer or respond to each person. It's an individual thing with each person. 
Jesus in the first 11 chapters of John shared the good news 10 different ways with 10 different people. Because it was individualized. It was not this cookie-cutter approach. So we share. And so on the back of this sheet I gave you, there is a (laughs) narrative evangelism structure that is great cross-culturally. It works in every culture. Because you start with the story of the listener. Where are they coming from? And if you notice, the circles increase in size. In other words, the, the, the emphasis that you give to each one of these areas gets greater and greater as you and you build bridges not barriers to what's going on in the process and so you start with their story and you ask them questions and you understand what's going on in their life and you understand what kind of felt needs they're struggling with but then you move from the felt need to the creational need and you go to your story you share our story you build a bridge so how does their felt need I guarantee you, if somebody's struggling with loneliness, everybody in this room at some point has had some lonely feeling in their life. And that that draws from a creational need of relationship that God built inside all of us. So we talk about how God met that need. And then you move from your story to a Jesus story. Not the big story of Him dying on the cross, but just a story where He addresses that felt need and creational need. Can you think of a story in the Bible where he addressed that loneliness need in somebody? What about the prodigal son? Do you think he was lonely? It says nobody wanted anything to do with him. Everybody wanted everything to do with him when he had money and when he was partying. But when everything was gone, they left him. And that's what the world does. They throw you away. What about the woman who had the issue of blood? Nobody wanted anything to do with her. She was lonely. What about the woman at the well, the one who had been married five times? There's lots of stories to deal with these issues. And so what I do is I say, you know what? There's a story in the Bible where Jesus, and I'm not sure where you are with the Bible and all, but Jesus has been admired by all religions all over the world. Jesus is recognized. And He tells a story, and I go into that story doesn't matter. I don't try to justify the Bible to people. I just tell them what the Bible says. Like Billy Graham said, the Bible is the authority. You don't have to defend it. Just quote it. And so I, I give them the story. And then I say the reason he did that is because, and then I go into the Jesus story, is because he created you and I for a dependent relationship. But because of our selfishness, and our self-ledness, that relationship has been broken. And the Bible says that because that relationship is broken, we, we basically earn eternal death. In fact, there's a verse in the Bible that says, for the wages, in other words, what we earn is death. That's eternal death. It's like our souls will be forever apart from God and be lonely in the eternal life. Now, you may not believe in eternal life, but you know what? I was an FBI agent and I just shared this from my own background. You can use, you can quote other things, but I say there's a lot of people that didn't believe that they were going to go to jail and they're sitting in a federal penitentiary today. So what you believe, if it's not reality, doesn't matter. What's really important is what reality is. And the Bible for 2,000 years, people have tried to disprove it. There's no archaeological or historical fact that's ever disproved one thing in the Bible. And many people have tried. They've tried to destroy it. And so the Bible says that God in His mercy sent His Son Jesus to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our selfishness and our self-ledness and our independent rebellion against God. 
And it says that if we will simply have faith, that just means to trust. We, ex we exercise faith every day. See that coffee you're drinking? Did you make it? No. Did you see me? How do you know I didn't put poison in it? Because you trust me. <laughs> wait, what? All these guys are wrong. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. All right. So here's the point. We exercise faith every day. So I take them to that place. And I say, so what God wants for us is to trust not in an act of Jesus dying on a cross. He wants us to trust in a person the Son of God named Jesus. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes, whoever has faith in Him, will not perish in that eternal death, but they will have, they will have life with God forever. That's the Gospel message. And then, that last circle is an invitation to respond. I say, can I just invite you right now? Is there any reason that you would not want to follow and trust Christ? And if they say, well, I'm not ready, then I always invite them to take a next step. Can I? Do you have a Bible? Then, then I would love to buy you a Bible. And I buy them a Bible. And if they say, yeah, I have one, but I can't read it. It's like, you know, whatever. It's my grandma's and I read it. I'd say, well, I would like to get you a Bible and I get them a Bible. But I always invite them to take the next step. That's the gospel. That's the sharing that he's talking about. You individualize it. Now, this process right here that I'm talking about, could take five minutes and it could take five years as you work through this process with a person. But the whole time you're praying, the whole time you're caring, and the whole time you're sharing. Most people don't come to Christ the first time they hear the Gospel. It's over and over and over. And so this movie outreach is just one way they can hear it and see something in our culture that we like, movies, they can see it visually depicted in a way that's very well done. And so that is God's call on our life to pray, to care, to share. So the gospel is about relationship, guys. It's not about works. It's the story of God, man, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus all in relationship. And I gave you this, and I also put on there that uh, sheet that you, you've had before. Uh, there's a sheet on there. Let me see this, Marty. Uh, Marty um, right here. There's a sheet here sharing the gospel clearly. It's a great exercise. The, the gospel that I just shared with you came as a result of me writing this out many times. There's four basic outline points. God's purpose, our problem, God's provision, and then our response. And, and I give some verses dealing with that. Next week, I'm going to give you a way that you can share the gospel using Romans 6.23 on a napkin and building a bridge and you'll be able to have something that you can sit in a restaurant and you can go through this and all you have to do is learn one verse in the whole Bible. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I've shared that at least 100, 200 times on a napkin, on an airplane. Just being able to do that, God can give you a tool in your arsenal. So I share these with you so you can take it and go. And, and guys, be a witness. Be a witness. Do you know what? Don't let... This is, an, this is a very easy ask, this opportunity for the movie. To, it's an easy invitation for somebody. Easter's coming up. Hey, you know, uh, we, we, I go to a, a group of guy things and we're, 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 we're all going to the movie. 
Don't tell them, hey, we're having an outreach in a movie for people like you. <laughs> Just say, hey, we're going to the movie. What I'm telling people is I went in my neighborhood and there's, there's what I call the movers and the shakers. They're like the social director of the neighborhood. And I've invited them and they're interested in coming. So if they come, I know three or four other families have come or couples. So think about it. Pray about it. And then invite somebody to come and, and, and be a witness. Prayer, care, and share, guys. That's my prayer for you as we leave. Let's pray.